0: We turn to hearing again from the Gospel of Mark this morning, and I'd like to ask one of our elders, Bob Voga, who you heard on the horn earlier, gracing us with that gift, as he's going to read to us from the Gospel of Mark.
1: Thank you, Pastor. The scripture reading this morning is found in the book of Mark, chapter 14, verses 1 to 9. I'd like to give you just a minute to find it this is on page 710 in your pew bible mark 14 verses 1 through 9 now the passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest jesus secretly and kill him but not during the festival they said or the people may riot while he was in Bethany reclining at a table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume over his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, Why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages on the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, Jesus said. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing for me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them any time you want. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, whenever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks, be to God.
0: just want to encourage you, if you're a guest or a visitor with, here for a, for a, with us for the first time, that the Bible that you just used to read with us the gospel lesson this morning, if you don't have a Bible, that's yours to take. Um, part of why we have the Bibles that we do are so that anyone can have the Word of God in their hands. So if you're someone this morning who's here who does not have a Bible of your own, please take that Bible. And if you have someone in your life who you would like to give a Bible to, please take that Bible. We replenish them all the time and we just, uh, it's, a, it's a passion for us here not only to be in the word, but to w- put the word of God in people's hands. And so we want to just again give, that, give you that invitation. Beloved, today we come together to remember Palm Sunday, what is known as Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Crowds that have been following Jesus get ahead of him to form a receiving line as he comes into the holy city. On the eve of the Passover celebration, the population in Jerusalem most likely swelled to somewhere between 50 to 250,000 people. In an atmosphere something akin to perhaps one of our modern state fairs, people were waving palm branches and using their garments to line the ground upon which Jesus is treading upon a donkey and passing by them. As shouts, as we participated of, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, reverberate through the gate of the city. On the face of it, this scene would seem to point towards a happy ending. And yet, if we read between the lines, as you heard Bob read from chapter 14, there's a sense of foreboding here. Mark shares with us how the plot is thickening. The seed of a conspiracy planted long ago among the chief priests and the scribes begins to take root as they become more purposeful in their intentions to bring Jesus down. It is no longer a question of if. It is simply a matter of when. Only two days later, plans are being drawn up to make good on their threat to destroy Jesus. All hell is about to break loose. And the devil is in the details as the religious leadership stealthily waits for the right window of opportunity to strike. For the moment, they have no idea that one of Jesus' own followers is getting ready to offer his head, not on a silver platter, but for 30 pieces of silver. Silver. Judas, as we'll learn later from Mark, is also waiting for the right opportunity to cash in, even as he has already started to check out from following Jesus. On both sides of the aisle, Jesus is a marked man. How quickly he goes from being hailed as a king on Sunday to becoming a dead man walking on Friday. The irony of all this must not be lost on us, It is the church of Jesus' day that orchestrates his imprisonment and murder. It is one of Jesus' own followers, not some unrepentant outsider who sells him short and thereby sells him out, not with a slap on the wrist, but with a kiss on the cheek. Beloved, the religious leadership lost its way as it took matters into their own hands somehow convinced that its calling was to save the people from themselves. They failed to see, to understand that saving the world is what Jesus came to do. Saving the world is what only Jesus could do. Perhaps one of the most profound lessons of Holy Week is that salvation, like judgment, belongs to our God We cannot save ourselves. We cannot save others. And within all this backdoor dealing and political maneuvering, in the midst of the coming denials and betrayals, despite the appearance that evil reigns, let us also see once again how divine providence is at work unseen. The journey of Holy Week is the reminder, the assurance, the good news that God's will is being accomplished despite the foils and flaws of our humanity. During these next few days, we will seek to bring Jesus down by taking his life. But Jesus will look to be raised up to give himself over to us in order to save all of our lives. Following Jesus is about learning from Jesus how to die. He told us this from the very beginning. Take up your cross and follow me. It's learning how to die to ourselves, how to love and forgive even the ones who are nailing you to the cross. Only God, only our God and Jesus Christ can bring good out of evil in this way. Only our God and Jesus Christ can save us. Our responsibility, what's ours to do is to worship and witness to who Jesus is and what he has done for us through our loving service to him. On the one hand, when we claim what belongs solely to God, Jesus ends up on a cross. On the other hand, when we receive what only God can provide, When we share, when we do what we can with what our Father has given us, the gospel is preached, the kingdom is revealed before a watching world, and Jesus is glorified. The truth of this is best witnessed through the actions of an unnamed woman who, as we heard, surprises Jesus while he's eating dinner with a few friends. Jesus is in the home of Simon the leper, most likely the name of a man whom Jesus previously cured who's now been able to come back into society. As the guests are seated reclining at tables radiating outward toward an open space, a woman enters into that space and publicly interrupts their gathering with Jesus. She holds a jar made of alabaster, a white kind of stone that's translucent when it's cut into thin sheets, an article of value in its own right most often used to transport perfume. And indeed, the jar does contain perfume, an expensive one. The scented oil of nard, a plant native to the highlands of the Himalayan mountains in India. The woman does not uncork the jar or remove a wax seal from its mouth. Instead, she breaks this expensive jar so as to allow all of the perfume, including the most precious oils of the nard that would have settled at the bottom of the jar to allow them to flow out and onto Jesus' head and body. All of the guests are unimpressed by this woman's actions. Mark's word choice here describes the crowd as snorting in disapproval. They let us and her know how recklessly extravagant and wasteful she has been by commenting out loud the value of that whole jar of perfume was probably about a year's worth of wages. Mark goes on to tell us how this crowd, like a pack of wild animals, continues to pounce on this woman, biting and stinging remarks about how this ointment would have been better used to meet the needs of the less fortunate. What was this woman thinking? Why does she act in this way? Does she believe she's anointing a king, the Messiah with the oil of crowning? Does she understand, is she just yielding as best she can to what Jesus has been declaring repeatedly that he was born to do, to be sacrificed on the cross, Is she yielding as best she can by anointing his body for its eventual burial? Whatever her motivation, as this nard continues to run down over Jesus' hair and beard, his neck and shoulders, and down the rest of his body, the same body, this same body that will later be tortured, beaten, spit upon, flogged, dragged, and finally nailed to the cross. In this moment, Jesus, not surprisingly, sees things a little differently. Jesus affirms this woman. He affirms that this woman honors him through her act of service. In other words, Jesus proclaims this woman to know his heart and to have given her own heart to him. Sure, she pours a year's worth of salary on Jesus' head. But then again, a lot of things are going to be put on Jesus' head A lot of things that don't belong there, but few this early on have been willing to put their whole lives, their entire savings, their full paycheck on Jesus. Jesus' life is costly. It isn't cheap, despite the valuation of those who would seek to sell him out or destroy him. While things are indeed going to get ugly for Jesus, at this moment, in the actions of this woman, Jesus perceives something beautiful. This woman publicly does what she can to follow Jesus, to answer his call to go the way of the cross, even unto death and burial with him. Beloved, none of the rest of the disciples have even come close to such devotion to Jesus. And they won't, even when Jesus is dead. Unlike the followers of John the Baptist, who claimed his body after his execution by King Herod and buried it, when Jesus needs to be buried, his own disciples will be missing in action. The burial of Jesus will come in a rush by a stranger in a borrowed tomb. But in the meantime, the disciples here continue to prove how good they are at counting the cost of things. They know how to run the numbers. We've seen that in the Gospel of Mark. We can't afford a picnic for thousands in the desert, Jesus. Do you know what the catering bill for that will be? This extravagance is a waste. How disgraceful to throw away valuables like that, resources that could have been used to feed and clothe less fortunate people. Now, despite its appearance, their collective gripe is not arbitrary. It was customary before the Passover to remember and help the poor. Acts of charity were a regular part of the pilgrimage to Jerusalem for the feast. And Jesus' reply to their observation about the poor is ironic. It's not dismissive. He quotes from Deuteronomy 15, a hymn to kindness and fairness among all persons, even slaves. Jesus is saying if we honor him, we cannot ignore the needs of the poor. The existence of the poor is a lifelong invitation and motivation for kindness. In fact, if we read Deuteronomy 15 carefully, it would seem that the presence of the poor is an indictment of our lack of faith in God. In other words, mercy and compassion are signs of our devotion to Jesus. Total commitment to Jesus is inseparable from total commitment to the poor. If we honor Jesus, we cannot ignore the needs of the less fortunate. And yet all the people at this gathering, all they could see was money. An obligation, and therefore they do nothing but grumble and berate another person about a missed opportunity. But all this woman could see was Jesus, and so she acted in faith. She acted out of love and service. And in response, did you catch it when Bob was reading it? Jesus declares this woman's story will become a part of his. Our story becoming part of Christ's story. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. That's the end road of discipleship. Our listening to this story today proves the truth of what Jesus said. This story was included in our scriptures. It has been told to countless millions. And while we do not know the name of this woman, she does not remain anonymous. Her identity is literally in Christ as we know and remember her in relation to what she has done for Jesus. Her legacy of outrageous love and service. Beloved, our identity, like hers, is in Christ. The greatest thing we can leave behind in our world is our testimony to our love for Jesus. The bottom line is Jesus' commentary on our lives. What Jesus says about us is the greatest commentary of all. It's all that matters. And that means it's time for us to stop and ask ourselves this question. Are we doing something beautiful in our lives for Jesus? Are the actions of our lives beautiful to him? Would others notice, even comment on our lives in this way? Doing something beautiful for Jesus begins by understanding what Jesus has done for us. Are we aware, as we begin again another Holy Week, what Jesus has done for us? Jesus' mention of his burial in this scene, Jesus' mention of his burial in response to what this woman does, must have shocked all the guests at the meal, In the aftermath of the celebration of Palm Sunday, they didn't all gather in Simon the leper's house to hear talk about a funeral. They changed all their previous plans and decided to show up to hear about the new life in the kingdom of God. Not the way of the cross. Not Roman crucifixion. Been there, done that. No thank you, Jesus. That's just crazy talk. That's what that is. Most of them were probably so put off by all this talk of death that they missed how Jesus hints. Did you see it? How Jesus hints in his prophetic statement to this woman, how he hints beyond the cross, beyond his burial, to the resurrection. I tell you the truth, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Why else would this story continue to be preached How would it become good news if there wasn't something beyond the grave? Beyond death to anticipate. This is what the journey through Holy Week is all about. Remembering and reflecting on all that Jesus has done and continues to do for us. If we find ourselves, however, like the guests at the meal, all the other guests, we find ourselves fixated on profits and losses. If we still find ourselves caught up in smart investments and wasteful spending... Let's pay attention to the real cost. The greatest extravagance. The incalculable inheritance we are given in these next few days. If we want to talk about economies of scale, Jesus' blood is about to be poured out for the sins of the world. Dare we ask why our Father would waste divine perfection, the inestimable riches of grace on a lot like us? A bunch of treacherous and traitorous grumblers? The answer is because that's what divine love does. That's how much God's love saves us. And you can't put a price on that kind of love because that's how costly grace is. That's how priceless the gift is that God gives to us. He gives us Everything. He holds nothing back. Beloved, our desire to do something beautiful for Jesus will be in proportion to our experience of what He has done so beautifully for us. Jesus acts first and we only act in response to Him. So the invitation and challenge is for us to be aware of the gifts, His gifts to us. There is nothing that will deepen our love and our response to Jesus more than the simple act of identifying his blessings for us. And this week is about identifying the blessings. And as we do this, our hearts will be filled to overflowing and a full heart will spontaneously act to show love in return. And that is beautiful to Jesus. However, This week is also about appreciating that doing something beautiful for Jesus will be costly to us. Part of what makes this story so powerful is how expensive the perfume was. When this woman pours this perfume out on Jesus, it's no small thing. The personal cost to her and what she has to give up is enormous. What if we had a year's worth of salary in hand? Say, $50,000 worth of perfume we could sell and get the cash for. It's ours. It belongs to us. It might be easy to think of a long list of other things we could do with that kind of money. With those kind of resources. Maybe buy a house. Or pay off that mortgage. Perhaps get that car we've always wanted. Or take that trip around the world. How about putting some of it away for our kids' college education or our eventual retirement? Certainly, this woman could have come up with her own list of things. And yet, what she does is take $50,000 worth of perfume and lovingly use it to anoint Jesus. When was the last time anyone spent a year's worth of salary in physical, tangible Corporal acts of mercy for the poor. Anybody got a story? How about $5,000? How about $1,000? 500. 50 bucks. It's not about the money. It's about the cost. The anointing of Jesus. The expression of faith and trust. See, there's this temptation we face in following Jesus. Often, we want to have a relationship with Jesus that doesn't cost us much. Yes, we receive the benefits of Jesus as grace. We don't work for them. We don't earn them. They are a gift. But at the same time, our response to Jesus needs to cost us something. Jesus calls us to take up our cross and follow him. It's easy to embrace the benefits of following Jesus, but to not want to pay the cost for following him. But a relationship with Jesus that costs us little or nothing ends up being a shallow relationship. So beloved, again, let us ask ourselves this hard question. Does our relationship with Jesus cost us anything because Jesus puts value on reorienting our lives on how we use our time our resources our abilities in service to him and his kingdom Jesus tells us there's worth to be found in dying to ourselves in service to others our neighbors and even our enemies Jesus assures us the price we pay in being ridiculed, harassed, maybe even suffering for loving and caring for others as he has loved and served us does not go uncompensated. But it's not about the stuff we do. It's about the cost. The anointing of Jesus. The expression of our faith and our trust. Acting out of love for Jesus isn't about what we should do. It's about what we can do. Following Jesus isn't as much about striving to do the right thing and do good things that we should be doing as loving, prayerful, faithful Christians. Following Jesus is about getting excited, being inspired, finding purpose in loving, generous, life-changing things we can do with Christ. Note Jesus' description of what this woman has done. Note what he says, she did what she could. Beloved, following and serving Jesus is not about going bankrupt. Our calling and our ability to help those less fortunate than we are isn't about waiting until we believe we have an abundance to give. It's about doing what we can, working with, trusting in, and sharing from the authority and power from what the Lord has given us as the passion of our lord is about to begin again i want to invite us beg us implore us to slow down slow down 52 weeks in a year one of them this week of all weeks slow down Clear your calendar. Move some appointments to next week, next month. Slow down. Don't just let this week fly by and show up on Easter Sunday. It'll be glorious. But do not miss these next few precious days. Because these are our days to get ready. These are our days to realize why we are celebrating. To realize why in a week from today, what we celebrate changes everything. Our lives, the world, history. We'll miss it if we don't get ready. And for some of us, I want you to change how you get ready. Because some of us, we often enter into Holy Week thinking about the end of our Lenten journey. We think about what we gave up or what we didn't give up. And we think about what we should be feeling and we think about what we should be doing. This year, I want us to approach Holy Week differently. As we prepare in these next few days to follow Jesus into the city of Jerusalem, to a table in an upper room, to a garden in Gethsemane, to a cross on Calvary, and beyond the confines of a borrowed tomb, let us step away from thinking about what we must or should do for Jesus and more about what we can do, what we get to do with Jesus Let's not run away from Jesus. Let's not watch him from afar this week. Let us dare to ask and to hear what beautiful things we can do for Jesus as he does what he came to do. As he does what he was born to do for us. Maybe it's as simple as anointing Jesus anew by anointing the people he's put before us. Let us anoint them with prayer. Can you pray? Do you got time to pray? Let's anoint the people that God's put us bef- before us in prayer. Let us maybe literally take some olive oil. Prayerfully anoint and bless our sons and daughters, our fathers and our mothers, our friends, and offer a word of encouragement, affirmation, and if needed, forgiveness and reconciliation in the name of Jesus. Let's anoint the homeless with our presence, with the fragrance of a welcoming smile, a willingness to listen, or maybe even an actual bou- bouquet of flowers delivered to the good news ministry in just a couple of hours today, right across the way in Hope Hall, or wow, really want to blow our minds, maybe even next week on Easter Sunday. Let's anoint a shut-in, people who wish they could could try to find room in this church right now but can't get here. Let's anoint a shut-in or visit a hospital or a hospice, call on our neighbor, maybe even surprise a stranger or an enemy who is sick, grieving, lonely, and anoint them by being willing to show up, to sit and talk, to listen and to pray, to carry their burden, their cross with them for a while, like Simon of Cyrene will do for Jesus later. Beloved, let us do what we can, trusting that the beauty of whatever we do is in the eye of the beholder. The one who watches over us, the one who goes to the cross and beyond for us, the one named Jesus Christ, anything beautiful we do for Jesus does not go unnoticed, It does not go unremembered. Anything beautiful we do for Jesus proclaims and reveals the gospel in an unforgettable and life-changing way. So Hosanna in the highest indeed. Amen.